Yes, it is. Welcome to it. Hello. Good evening. It's uh, John Scholes here. Good to have you uh, with us. It's John Pincus, the uh, the lawyer tonight, going to be giving out the good information. It's going to be a it's going to be a good one. So we have lots to get through. Some emails, a couple topics uh, as well. What you need to know about termination for cause. And John, what should I do? John Pincus, don't ask me. Ask him. He's going to be here in a bit. Uh, but we'll get to that throughout the evening if we have time. Both of those uh, in between the phone calls, which, by the way, are always our priority. We prefer the phone calls talking to you. Beyond that, you can always reach out to John and his team. Simply go help at employmentlawyer.ca through email, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website we always plug, and one 821 5,900, but we uh, get things rolling every night of the week, as you know, John, with the case of the day, something that, uh, something that you've been working on. Pal, what do you got? That's right, John. Well, we got lots of interesting things to talk about and good to be here. And hopefully we'll have some discussions with some of our listeners about situations that are affecting them. But this is a situation that I'd like to talk about because it involves uh, something that really, really hits home for me as someone with very young children. And I think it will for a lot of our listeners, too. Uh, it involves a young woman, single mother, uh, who is working for a large retail company in its purchasing department for about six years. Mm-hmm. And she took a maternity leave for the birth of her second child and that she initially planned to be for 12 months, but she ended up having to extend it to 18 months, right? Because parental leave is, is uh, can go as long as 18 months, uh, because she could not find an available daycare for her child. Now, anyone who has young children right now knows there's a massive shortage of spaces. It's been yeah. significantly a- exacerbated over the last year or two. Uh, it really, really is just getting worse and worse. Uh, so she has been suffering from this problem, and she emails the company. She says, look, I know I'm supposed to come back in three weeks, but I can't leave my child on their own. I'm looking for alternatives. I'm speaking to family members, but in the meantime, I need you to bear with me. I need you to give me some time. So the company comes back and they say, well, we understand your situation, so we'll grant you a gratuitous unpaid leave of an additional two uh, weeks above and beyond uh, what you had initially indicated to us. Now, she tells them, look, that's, that's not enough. That's not going to be enough. I need more time. But they tell her, well, we've made up our mind. So she doesn't show up at the two-week mark because she still hasn't found childcare arrangements. And, of course, she, she told them that she wouldn't. They gave her one more week's extension. She tells them the same thing again. And now last week, they just sent her a letter saying that she has abandoned her employment or her employment has become frustrated. So basically saying you've either abandoned your job because of your situation or it's just become impossible to hold your job for any longer. Uh, and, and that, you know, to me, was completely absurd uh, for a company of this size, hundreds and hundreds of employees. There was no reason why they couldn't accommodate her for a little bit longer. So this person is going to be entitled to a severance package, and the company is also uh, has a human rights problem here, and they're going to be liable for some human rights compensation. Now, the lesson here, the important lesson here, is that you have rights that may extend beyond the leave set out in the Employment Standards Act, right? So just because the Employment Standards Act, for example, says that you, you have three days sick leave, that does not mean that you are not allowed to be sick for more than three days. Right. doesn't yeah. mean that you're not allowed to be ill for more than three days. And a lot of companies do actually think that, and it's a huge misconception. Now, the key thing for this person is that she looked into all available alternatives. She was able to show that it wasn't just a preference that, oh, I really want this daycare and I'm waiting for them. That wouldn't be a, a valid reason not to return to work. But she had checked in with all the daycares within a huge radius of her home, and there really were no options. Uh, she had effectively proven that her employer was giving her a choice between caring for her young baby and having a job. And the law simply does not allow employers to put an employee in that position. So what would a wise employee do going forward and not make this mistake? 
a wise employer to do uh, going forward employer, and not make yeah. this mistake. Uh, well, the, the, you know, one thing that could have been considered here, I think, is, you know, maybe we can have a partial work from home arrangement, right? Maybe she works mm-hmm. partly from home. Uh, you know, maybe she can get some uh, partial supervision for her child. Right? You, you've, you've got to kind of work with them. Right. Rather than just saying, well, you know, that's not reasonable. We need we need you back. You know, it would be one thing if she was saying, uh, I, I just like this daycare better or, you know, this daycare is too expensive. That that may not be covered by human rights legislation because it, it has to be more than a preference. But if it is more than a preference, I mean, there's two ways you can go about it. You know, one is they can they can give that uh, arrangement if it's this was a job that I don't see why it couldn't have been performed on a part-time basis or a graduated basis or working from home. Um, or you can simply say, well, we're going to hold the job and you just have to keep us posted. Now, at a certain point, they may be able to say, well, now it's really become impossible. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to work anymore. Uh, but they were not, they certainly were not at that point at the moment they pulled the trigger. And that is why you always want to reach out to John and the team, uh, whether you're an employee or an employer for that matter. Get the good advice going forward always. Let's uh, just get into that one break that we're going to do now before we round it up and get into our main topic for the evening. We continue Employment Law Show. Stand by. Skulls here along with John Pinkus, courtesy Sanfiru Tamark and LLP. I want to reach out to John. When we're not doing the show, that's one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Another John. It's a trifecta of Johns on the air here. John, what's going on, pal? Hey, John. How are you? Good, John. How are you? Good. Um, so my situation is my wife is um, coming up on her two years of long-term disability. It, it mm-hmm. ends in October. Um, it is a mental health condition that can be kind of tied to her work environment. Um I know that after two years, an employer can just offer her any job, but if she's not prepared to go back to work, is she entitled to severance? She's been there for 10 years. That's a great question, John. You know, we, this, this is a situation that we actually have all the time. Uh, and, and here's the thing that you need to know, John. The policy, the long-term disability policy, and whatever rights you may have under that policy um, mm-hmm. are totally separate from the rights that your wife has vis-a-vis her employer. So what I mean by that is, even if the disability insurer can justifiably cut her off based on the, the wording of the policy, and that you know is, is certainly an open question, right? You should always, if, yeah. if you have any concerns about that, you should speak to a disability lawyer. But even that being aside, even if her long-term disability benefits are ending, that doesn't mean that she's obligated to return to work. So there, could, there are often scenarios where someone may not qualify for continued receipt of disability benefits, but they are still not able to return to work based on the advice of their doctor, right? So you may not qualify as disabled, as the policy defines disabled, but your doctor says right. you still can't go back to work. And if that's the case, all she needs to do is get an updated doctor's note, and she should submit these regularly and say, you know, I, I still can't return back to work. And often the employer is advised, right? They, they're copied on the correspondence from the employers for the insurer. So they may send a letter saying, oh, great, your long-term disability benefits have ended, so come on back to work. That doesn't necessarily mean she has to. If she's still to the extent that she's not uh, fit to return to work, she's still suffering from, uh, you know, psychological difficulties, and her doctor, yeah. her, you know, specialist says, you really should not be going back to work at this time. You, you submit a note. You don't have to give details of the diagnosis. You just say, you know, she's not not in a position to return back to work. Uh, and if they terminate her employment as a result, um, you know, they may say, well, her employment's become frustrated. They may say abandonment. 
anything. No, if if they if they refuse to hold her job, I want you to give me a call because this is this is a situation that I deal with pretty frequently. So if if they refuse, so thanks for that information. But if they offer her a job, any job, because I hear after two years they can offer you any job. That they don't have to hold your job, but they can offer you another job within the organization. Is that correct? Well, it doesn't have to do with the two-year mark, but it, it, okay. it's it's matching the company's needs to the accommodation needs, right? So if she's able to return um, and they don't have her job available, but they have a comparable job available, then yes, an employer can do that. If okay. she's not able to return, it really doesn't matter what job they have available to her uh, because if she can't go back to any job and she has the medical evidence to support that, she's got a you know physician or, or a medical specialist who says it doesn't matter the job. She can't go back, then the accommodation they have to provide is to hold her job. They don't have to pay her, but they have to hold her job. Right. Okay. Um, just one other question, and I, I, mm. I want to take up your time, but mm-hmm. so in her situation, her medical doctor might want her to go back to work, but her clinical doctor doesn't want her to go back to work. So uh, from a mental health <laughs> perspective, the clinician is saying no, but the medical doctor is saying yes. Yeah, that. Yeah, no, that 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 is tricky. That is very very tricky, right? So so what would likely happen in that scenario is you'd get a note from the clinical doctor uh, supporting um, her ability to or her inability rather to go back to work, but at that point. we may be looking at an independent uh, medical uh, evaluation. So okay. uh, that's that's tricky. That's tricky and, and probably warrants a longer discussion. Okay, okay. No, thank, thanks for that. I always My thought pleasure. that that two-year mark was like set in stone and then you're just, your rights are gone. <laughs> a lot of people do. A lot of people do, but it's it's a mis, uh, misconception. John, appreciate the call, pal, to reach out to any further. Any other questions? By the way, there's a whole disability law side to uh, to John's firm as well, one 821 5900 Hi, Karen. Thank you uh, so much for standing by. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Great to I hear. Yep. Yeah, sure, go ahead. I have a question for my daughter. She was working for a big firm, a good position, very well paid for nine years. Uh, it was very stressful. They were doing a lot of changes. They had notified her about... Uh, people being switched around, and had given her a screenshot of what her new job would be, which was more stress. Anyway, what happened unexpected, my other daughter, uh, I had two girls, my younger daughter passed away suddenly. It's been so difficult for the family. And uh, my daughter went to her doctor. She wasn't able to sleep. She was having a hard time concentrating to do a good job for her work. And they suggested her go on stress leave four to six weeks. So she was off for three weeks, gets a call from her company saying there's no position for her and they're letting her go. Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm so sorry, yeah, Karen. So That's... Like, the stress thing was, was made so much more because she likes to do a good job and she just couldn't concentrate. She couldn't, did not feel she was doing the job she should. But she wasn't, um, she was doing the best she could under the stress, you know. So um, anyway, she followed her doctor's suggestion to take this leave. And now they've just let her go like this, you know. That's um, terrible. I'm, uh, and I'm I also, so sorry to hear and, that, and she Karen. she does have a screenshot of, a, of a, her new position that they were already told her about. And now they say there is no position with this change up. So it's kind of like two different things going on that don't make sense that they could let her go. 
Yeah, no, that sounds very, very suspicious, right? They have a job for her. All of a sudden, she takes a medical leave, and the job is gone. Um, I think they have some explaining to do here. Um, and the other thing... They offered her nine months of... Or sorry, nine months worth of wages, but no right. other compensations. But she'd been there nine years. And I was just curious, like, can they let you go while you're on a stress leave? Like, talk about adding more stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would They would basically have to show here that the decision to let her go was made prior um, to her taking a stress leave. Uh, and she if, had a screenshot of a job that they offered her. She was quick to take it off the work uh, thing and put it on her personal computer. Yeah, yeah. There, there may, there, there very well may be a human rights issue here. That is, that sounds very problematic. So, um, you know, nine months for nine years of service, and 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 how old's your daughter, roughly? She's forty-one. Okay, and what kind of job was this? She was a lot. She was an analyst for a very big company. She did all of Canada. Right. So, so nine months, you know, depending on whether it has all the aspects of her compensation, you know, we'd, we'd have, we'd want to look at whether there's uh, bonuses or commissions or, or anything like that in there. That, that is, you know, with probably within the range of her proper severance entitlement, but there may be a human rights issue here, um, which is separate from severance entitlements. And, you know, if, if they had a position for her and changed their mind based on her taking a stress leave, that's a pretty serious human rights violation. Um, so I would, uh, I'd recommend that you give us a call, Karen, so we can uh, we can talk about this in a little bit more detail. I'd appreciate that. Will you repeat the number for your company? I will right now, Karen, for sure. That is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one. 5,900 in the email is easy. You want to use that as well. It's simply help at employmentlawyer.ca. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Call for sure. Again, get all the answers just like John did, just like Karen did as well. That's It's as simple as that before you even reach out to John after the show. Okay, what you need to know about termination for cause. Always a uh, busy topic and always uh, one that causes confusion with those who are not in the know. But that's why you catch the show every night of the week. John, basically, I mean, easy one first, really. What is termination for cause and how difficult is it to actually establish that? So what a termination for cause is when your job is terminated and it's terminated by necessity by something you did, right? You've done something that has made it impossible for the employer to trust you, for the employer to continue the relationship. And it's and it, and it just cannot uh, continue in its current form or any form. So, you know, one of the things that could be cause for dismissal, well, if you defraud your employer, right? If you are dishonest uh, about something very serious uh, with your employer, that could be just cause, right? Because if you're, if you're lying really blatantly about something that's really significant, to your employer and they can't trust you anymore, employment relationship doesn't really work. And what the law says is, well, if that happens, the employer doesn't have to give you advance notice of that termination. They don't have to pay you severance for that termination because you brought that on yourself. But it's a very, very narrow uh, set of circumstances where an employer can actually uh, establish just cause. The employee really has to do something egregious. So we often talk about things that are not cause. That's probably the easiest way to talk about just cause in terms of what it's not. So is making a mistake in the workplace just cause? No, probably not. Unsatisfactory performance uh, is 
almost never just cause for dismissal unless it is extreme, sustained, long period of time, multiple right. warnings in writing. Even then, it can be difficult. Uh, but that is a very, uh, very, very high bar. Uh, and, you know, often the accusation is serious, but it's not true, right? If the accusation is serious and it's not true and the employer cannot establish that it is true, uh, then it's not going to be just cause for dismissal. And if it's not just cause for dismissal, you are owed the same severance as everyone else. In fact, I often argue that you should be entitled to more severance because by terminating your employment for cause, they've now made it harder for you to find a new job. Because now what are you going to say about the job that you just lost? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a round number, I guess you could say, for how many chances an employee should get before they're dismissed for cause? I know it's a pretty high number. Yeah, I mean, a lot of employers like to use the old baseball analogy, right? Three strikes, you're out. But it, yeah. it, and and you know, I think that sometimes the law is tempted to to look at it that way as well. But first of all, they have to be good faith warnings, right? A lot of time, I see employers just doling out warnings without really engaging with the employee at all through that process, right? So if you sent out three warnings. And, and the employee is saying, well, what about this? And what about this? And I'm not getting any support here. And this doesn't really seem fair. And they're not engaging with you. Then it really doesn't matter how many warnings they give you. They could give you a hundred warnings. But if they're bad faith warnings, then they, they, they just don't count. You know, the law is pretty good at identifying when something is a setup. And it's for that reason that if you're getting warnings and there's something in that warning that is unfair or there's something the employer can do to help the situation so that the problem, if it's a performance issue, doesn't recur, you should speak up and you should do it in writing because that's going to make it much more difficult for the employer to rely on those warnings later. You know, termination for cause automatically leads to the thought that, well, you've got let go for cause, therefore there's no severance. That's probably one of the reasons why they're doing it that way. But is there is there a time, is there a situation where you do get severance even if you are fired for cause? Well, the, the the biggest issue is if you are fired for cause and the employer does not have cause, right. which is most of the time, uh, if they've accused you of something that you did not do, or they've accused you of something that you did do, but it's just not serious enough to justify just cause, which is often uh, the case. That's, that's the more often scenario we're looking at, where, yes, you've done something, but does the punishment fit the crime, so to speak? And, and, and usually the answer is no. So that's one thing. There are some very narrow circumstances circumstances where you've done something wrong and it is seriously wrong, but it's not so wrong to deprive you of your minimum entitlement. So there's some cases where you're entitled to some severance, just not your full severance. So there's a whole range of scenarios, but there's very, very few scenarios. You know, they come across my desk now and then, but there's very few scenarios where an employee is terminated for just cause and I actually tell them you don't have an entitlement here. It happens, but it's very rare. We can get a call. We have time. Now, you wouldn't believe this, but it's another John standing by. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you doing tonight? Okay, pal. What's on your mind? Well, I got a question. I have an employment contract that says that I'm not uh, entitled to more severance than it basically goes by by what the, the labor board mm-hmm. uh, says. Yeah. So, But if my employer is acting uh, not in good faith, so to speak, uh, if I'm not being treated fairly, uh, can can that circumvent the the employment contract, or is it just so? Usually, the employer's conduct, unless they do something like not pay you termination pay when they let you go, is not going to be enough to um, get around a contract. But that being said, the majority of contracts that I see, I'd say. 
80% of them, maybe 90% even, um, are not drafted legally. And if a termination clause has not been drafted in strict compliance with the minimum standards, then it's gone. So if you are let go at any point in the future and they say, well, pursuant to this employment contract you signed on the et cetera, et cetera date, um, here's what we owe you. But, you know, and maybe they say, we'll give you another week or two if you sign a release. That's the time to give me a call, right? Because then I'll be able to look at that contract and I'll be able to tell you in about five minutes whether it's going to hold up. And that's, that's what we you. go by. All right. Makes sense. And if, if yeah. you terminated, if you terminated and you're given your minimum severance and you, mm-hmm. and you take that, but you don't sign any paperwork, can, can you still, uh, challenge for more? more yeah. or, yes. Or should yes. you not accept anything? As long as you have not signed anything, the employer still has to pay you your minimum entitlement. Um, and uh, the fact that you're receiving your minimum entitlement does not commit you to anything. What commits you to something is, you know, signing an agreement letter or, uh, or worse, a release. Uh, as long as you have not signed something like that, then uh, it's still open for you to, um, you know, speak with us and uh, talk about improving your severance package. John, appreciate the call, pal. That's a good way we're going to wrap it up for tonight as well. That is a quick show, but lots of phone calls. That's the way we like it. Uh, We're back in tomorrow, by the way, at 6.30 to reach out and do more. You can call us again at that time. But in the meantime, to reach out to Mr. Pinkus, you can and his crew, 1-855-821-5900. The phone number, email help at employmentlawyer.ca. And for access to the severance calculator and all things about what we talk about on the show, Weekly, that website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you tomorrow at 6.30 once again on the Employment Law Show.